So, uh, if you're here this morning, I want to ask you to open your Bibles. We're going to be bouncing around a bit, but John 17 is where we're going to probably start. You're going to want to put your finger there. We'll be in a few other places. Matthew 4, a few hints for you. And uh, so, yeah, let's get started. We are in uh, the fifth message in what is now a six-part series called Spiritual Warfare, the Battle for Your Mind and Your Soul. And uh, yeah, it's been uh, an interesting uh, series to be going through, and I'm really, really encouraged by um, what I'm seeing and hearing from many of you about uh, what our hope is as your pastors, as preachers and teachers, is that you are, uh, yeah, being challenged, but also being encouraged, which is a good thing. On that note, I want to share with you just something that happened while I was away. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always reading, as most of you know, whether it's articles about theology or this or that, or reading books about that, even on vacation. I can't, I can't stop. I just love it. But I, I saw this one article while I was away, and it was about preaching, you know? And, uh, and, and I'm always reading articles and books uh, on preaching if it's written by someone whom I respect. And, and you're probably thinking... That's a good thing, Glenn. Please keep that up. Because uh, I'm always interested in, in, in learning more. I think that's a good thing, right? And so I, I saw this article. It was, the article was really, really good. But it was the comment that one person made in the comment section of uh, uh, the social media side of it that, was real, that really struck me, and I loved it. And uh, at first when I heard the comment or read the comment, I was like, hold on, hold on. Is that, is that my heart about preaching? And and so forth, and, and I, I think it is. So I was, I was encouraged at that point. But just to share with you, the idea was this. What this person said was something along this um, point of view, after having read the article, and that is this. The goal of the preacher is not so much to argue or convince anyone who is listening to them of their opinions or position. That's not the goal of preaching. You're probably glad to hear that, right? Sometimes you're probably going... Well, I'm not sure that's exactly the way I'm hearing it, Pastor, right? And, and, and I understand that, but that is our heart. Because here's the thing, at the end of the day, we know this, that the only, the only person who can change the heart of an individual is the Holy Spirit, amen? It's, it's not me, it's not us, but, but that's our heart. And I know that's Rudy's heart, and it's certainly my heart, and, and I guess the, the point that I would make on that is, is that we truly do believe that you are big boys and big girls, right? And, and that you, uh, you can hear what you're hearing, and you can assess it for yourselves, and you can decide for yourselves whether uh, from the Word of God, which we always stand behind, that to you is truth and true, and whether or not you're going to give yourself to that truth. Really, at the end of the day, the Christian walk is in your hands, Right? So I, I say that also because, listen, this is a pretty challenging series, and today I think is going to be very challenging. And so, yeah, from time to time, especially Rudy, we can get really passionate up here, right? Okay, me too, right? And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and bold, right? And so it can come across. I know, I've sat where you sit. And sometimes I've heard sermons where I'm like, I think that is, illustration was aimed right at me, right? And, and get a little offended, right? And uh, um, you're welcome. <clears throat> um, no, uh, that, that's not the heart. So uh, I, I preface today's message with that because, A, that struck me and I had to check my heart, think about it. And so trust me, as I've written these words today, I've, I've tried to keep that in mind because we're now at a part of the series where we're, we're moving on uh, to something very challenging this week and next week I think will be more encouraging as we wind it up. 
So as we've mentioned several times during this series, we've taken our overall outline, uh, not all of the messages, but some nuggets, certainly from John Mark Cormer's book, Live No Lies. Again, I cannot stress this. I, I know how many times I say this to people like, get that book. Read that book. I have the Audible. I've listened to it four or five times. I've got the book, the Kindle, anyway. Powerful book. What I appreciated was two things I appreciated, well, many actually, but two in particular that we appreciated, Rudy and I did, about his book and his outline was that he, first of all, he first of all reversed the order of a typical sermon that would be preached on spiritual warfare. And as I mentioned, I think the first week, and we've repeated, is that it typically would be what? The world, the flesh, and the devil, right? That would be the order. And, and, and every sermon I've ever heard on it, it's, it's been preached that way, and I've always wanted to do a series on this, but I'm like, I don't know. And, and I think the problem with that is what ends up happening is, is that, and, and again, I've expressed it this way before, but is that you start off with, with the world, and the world's bad, right? It's really bad. And, and then, then there's the flesh, and of course, everybody's struggling with the flesh, and, and then there's the devil. And so you've got this flesh thing sandwiched between the world and the devil, and those are the two really bad things. And so we, the poor old Christians, have got to protect ourselves from the world and from the devil. Hang on a second. There is the flesh. <laughs> and, and Rudy did such a good job the last two weeks of unpacking that for us. So that's one of the reasons why we, we did that, and we reversed it was because it, it's such a... But the other is, is that as we saw his thesis in the book, it was like, okay, he, he, he articulates this pastor from Portland in a very progressive city who loves his city. He expressed it in a really good way, and we're going to put it on screen for you one more time, and it's this. He begins with the devil, and he says he, he's all about deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires, the flesh, that are then normalized in a sinful society, which is the world. And I remember the first time I saw that, I went, oh, man, that is so well articulated. So I can't do any better, so give credit where credit is due, right? Fantastic outline as far as we're concerned. So we're going to, this week and next, here's your sermon titles for the next two weeks. Today we're looking at the world part one, being influenced by the world. Next week... Notice the change. The world part two, being an influence in the world. And so I wanted to put them in that order because I think if, if there's any chance that we, the body of Christ, Christians, are going to have any influence in this world, we need to understand how much this world is influencing us. On that note, let me pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you, Lord, for all your blessings, your care for us. Lord, we have so many things that we need to pray for in this day and age. Um, Lord, I, 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 Holy Spirit, I ask you to, to come over me, come over this message, over this word today, over everyone here in this building listening and watching online, Lord, so that, Holy Spirit, you may, you may instruct our hearts. You may convict us of the things that we need to be convicted of, but also encourage us in the ways that only you can. Lord, I need to pray today, Lord, as we've been going through the last couple of years of this pandemic, and yes, Lord, there seems to be light at the end of this tunnel today anyway, and yet, Lord, we're now in a, in a war, and when I say we're in a war, we are. We're in a spiritual war, but there is literal 
war going on in the Ukraine today. And so, Lord, I pray for that place. We pray for those people. We pray for our leaders around the world. We pray for wisdom. We pray for your hedge of protection. We pray, Lord, that you would step in and stop this. So, Lord, we just commit these things in our time together this morning. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So, uh, as we've done in each of the two sections of the series so far today, we need to define our terms, okay? And we've been doing that throughout the series. Uh, First, we learned that the devil, in the first two weeks, is a real being. He's not a figment of our imagination, this little guy with a pitchfork who's sitting on your shoulder, you know, speaking into your... No, he's real. A, A real being. And he's evil. And he's, he's real because we know that Jesus believed he was real, and we'll see more about that today, because Jesus, well, Jesus was there when he was created as an angel and then cast out of heaven, but Jesus encountered him, literally, while he was on earth during his ministry. So we know he is real. We also learn from John eight forty four, and these are Jesus' words, from his mouth, that he is one thing and one thing pretty much only. He's a liar. Jesus said he's the father of all lies. There's no one more creative than he is when it comes to lying, although sometimes we try. He's a liar. In, in fact, the way it's presented, it's like his, his number one attribute, his character, his very nature is simply a liar. Secondly, we learned that the flesh is something we've been, and we looked at that actually before we got into it, Rudy got into it the last two weeks, we were looking at it in the series before in Romans 8, right? We were looking at that quite a bit, and we learned that the flesh is, and it's based on the Greek word sarks, which, which you know, can be translated different ways, and one of those ways is like literally our bodies, like, like this, the skin, our flesh, right, is, is that translation. But in the scripture, it's also often used, as we learned, to talk about our nature, our nature as human beings. And it's specifically talking about our old sinful nature. The the nature, the flesh that we're no longer supposed to be walking in and living according to the flesh, which is our sinful nature. Instead, if we're in Christ, we're, we're to be living according to the Spirit and putting that flesh to death. That's the challenge, right? That in itself is the battle in this world today. And then we've got this guy chirping lies into our hearts and and disordering our desires that God has given us good desires, but he's disordering them. Not only ours as Christians, but everyone in the world, which is why we see the things that we see in our world today as we will unpack here today. So let's look at the term the world. The Greek word is, and you're going to recognize it right away, is the word cosmo where we get the word cosmos, right? And, and uh, so one of the ways that that word can be translated is to literally be talking about the universe, like uh, everything that God has created. The, the, the cosmos is one of the ways that it is actually referenced in the scripture. If you refer to Romans 1.20, you'll see that that's exactly in the context what the word cosmo that is used there is speaking of when it talks about the world. But also, we, we, we know that the world is, is humanity, right? The most famous verse in the Bible that you all know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the whole, what? World. 
what, the, the, the earth, the cosmos? No, you and I, that he sent his only son, his beloved son into this world to die for us. But also, as we're going to see in our context today and the relationship to the devil, the flesh, and the world, it has some other completely different meanings. And so I'm going to give you a few meanings that other theologians and pastors and authors who are smarter than me uh, have defined this term, the world, from a biblical perspective. Uh, a lexicon that I use on my online software or my software on my computer for study uh, gives this definition. This won't be on screen, but it's a very simple one. The system of practices and standards associated with secular society. There you go. Get it? Well, let me go a little deeper. <laughs> okay. Uh, there is a uh, passed away now, a philosopher, Christian author, whose name was Dallas Willard, wrote some fantastic books. And this will be on screen for you. He defines the world this way. Our cultural and social practices that are under the control of Satan. Hello. And thus opposed to God. That's pretty blunt. Got a few more for you. They get even blunter. Pastor and theologian Jerry Brashears put it this way. The world is Satan's domain. Where his authority and values reign. Through his deception, deceptive ideas, makes that Though, pardon me, his deception makes that hard to realize. And, and I love this last part where he says this. If you are of the world, then actually it just seems right. Wow. Right? How many people do you know who are, quote, in the world, or not in Christ, not Christian, who just think their ethics, their morals, their way of living is actually right? Well, of course they do. Here's one that's a little bit more dramatic. And before we put it on screen, I just want to tell you who the author of this is. Some of you will know his name. He's also passed away recently. His name is Eugene Peterson. Everyone who knows Eugene Peterson knows he's like the pastor of pastors. He's the most gentle-hearted man you would ever meet. He wrote the, some people call it a translation. It's not. It's, it's a commentary uh, on the Bible called The Message. And it's actually beautiful if you read it in that context. Listen to his definition of the world. The world is an atmosphere, a mood that's crept into us like a cancerous rot. An airborne emotional pollutant we inhale every day. An anti-God impulse we circulate in our body's lungs. It's the society of proud and arrogant humankind that defies and tries to eliminate God's rule and presence in history. I got to tell you, I have his books. I don't agree with everything he, he's ever, I agree with most of them. He's a fan, he was a wonderful man. I couldn't believe he actually defined the world that way. I think many people who sat under his teachings for many years would go, huh? Very bold. Lastly, I want to give you John Mark Cormer's definition from Live No Lies because I, I, I think it's very appropriate to our series. He said this, that the world is a system of ideas, values, morals, practices, and social norms that are integrated in the mainstream and eventually institu institutionalized in a culture corrupted by the twin sins of rebellion against God and the redefinition of good and evil. I think that's a very good definition. And I think some of you are probably sitting there right now, I would be if I was you, going, Pastor, come on. You're making the world sound really bad. 
Is it really? Is it really that horrible? Is it really that? Well, I think we're going we're gonna to look at in just a moment some of Jesus' words, but we also know from that, and we'll see it in his words, but Jesus repeatedly told us that, listen, you're, you're not to be of the world. <laughs> you're my disciples. Do not be of the world. What he meant by that is don't be influenced by it. It's two things are going to happen if you do that. Number one is it's going to destroy your Christian life and walk that I have died to bring and give to you. But also, it's going to destroy your witness. You're going to be just like the world. They're going to be like, well, <laughs> so you're a Christian goody two-shoes, but you do everything we do. You think the same things we think. You watch the same shows that we watch. In John 17, Jesus prays his high priestly prayer to the Father for you and for me. He's looking ahead to the, to the day like this. And at one point in verses 15 to 18, he says to his Father, my prayer is not, look at this, not that you take them, my disciples, out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So look, let's examine those words just for a second. If you don't mind on screen, just go back to the first part of the prayer. Jesus is praying for you and I, and his concerns are obviously evident, right? First, he prays that the Father will not take us out of the world, which, which implies something. He, he's looking ahead, Jesus is looking ahead to today, well, to every day up until this time, and he's thinking, you know, Father, at some point in time, you're gonna, you're, they're going to be out there, and the world is going to be influencing them so badly and corrupting them so badly that you're going you're gonna to maybe be so concerned about their welfare and their hearts, you're going to want to take them out of it. Jesus is, is saying, but Father, don't do that. Don't do that. They need to be in the world not of it, but they need to be in it. Secondly, Jesus clarifies that, doesn't he? It's because he is concerned about the evil one's influence. He again says that the problem is it's not the flesh and blood people of this world that we're battling against, is it? Although they're being deceived by principalities and powers in high places by our enemy. So this is Jesus' concern. And essentially he's saying they're not of this world just as I am not of this world. And again, more on this next week in a way that I, I hope will be very encouraging to you in the sense that we shouldn't be afraid. We're, we're to say, have the same heart that God has for he so loved the world. Because we should be able to look back on our own lives and say, well, you know what? At one point in time anyway, I was there too. So compassion should rule us. So now that we've established what the world is, let, remind, let me remind you of a few key things, a few pairs that we've been looking at through this series. It's been very challenging, I think, for some of us. We've been looking at a few that we've established. First, there's the whole idea that I presented to you early on about these two kingdoms and the idea that there are only two kingdoms at work in this world today. Pretty boldly put. You can debate that for yourselves if you'd like. But I would suggest to you there are two kingdoms. One is the kingdom of God. Amen? And the other is the kingdom of darkness. 
And I've said this before, and I'm going to clarify it this morning. There's no middle kingdom that you and I can live in, although we try to. Now, on some subjects, social, political, amen, there is middle ground. There's no middle kingdom is what I'm getting at. That's important distinction. Secondly, there are only two fathers for every human being on this planet today. If you've received and believed in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you know you are saved as a result of that by his sacrificial sacrifice on the cross in your place and for your sins, and you've been given the gift of being the right to be a child of God, which we're told in, first, in John's first chapter of his gospel, then, friends, your heavenly father is Jesus' father. If you have not, it's not good news. The other father is your father. The father of all lies, as Jesus called him. So listen, not only is there no middle kingdom, the kingdom of God is not of this world, Jesus declares. So so that's like, hold on a second. (laughs) I'm a little confused here. The kingdom of God has obviously been initiated in Jesus, um, but it's not of this world? No, Jesus said, no, my my kingdom is an eternal kingdom. It's the heavenly kingdom, but it has been inaugurated. It has broken out here. So let me explain this to you. You will remember the point at which Jesus began his earthly ministry. Immediately after he was baptized by John the Baptist, he's led by the hand, basically, by the Holy Spirit, where? Into the wilderness, And, of course, he is led there for 40 days and 40 nights, all of that period, not on the last day, but all of that period, to be tempted by whom? The devil. Exactly. So this is, now he knows who he is, but now he's encountering him full on. Something that you and I don't ever want to do. But he did it. And so this becomes the most important spiritual battle of all time. And you know, of course, who the winner is, right? Yeah, he he defeated him there. But the devil comes at Jesus three times, tempting him to give up his plan, the plan that he, the Father, and the Holy Spirit had before the foundation of the world, and, and to maybe inaugurate his kingdom in a human way, based on his human capabilities, rather than trusting and relying on his Father. And so the final temptation went this way, we read in Matthew chapter 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Look at that. He showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. So even in the year zero, or actually 33 when Jesus was approximately that age, there were lots of kingdoms. So this kingdom thing is not just a Bible-fabricated thing. No, there were lots of kingdoms. The Greco-Roman kingdoms, the empires, same thing. And he said to him, look, All these I will give to you. (laughs) Wow. If you fall down and worship me. Now, honestly, how ridiculously bold is that? Jesus replied, be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. He left Jesus, but he wasn't done. He wasn't gone for good. So I want to ask you, do you see what's going on there? Do you see clearly what's going on? 
I mean, this is the ultimate power play. It's Satan's literally last stand on one level. He points to all the kingdoms of this world and the nations and the empires that exist, and he says to Jesus, the Son of God, he knows who he is. He says to him, man, it's bold. If, if this guy can be that bold to Jesus face to face, how bold do you think he can be to you and to me? I think we should take him very seriously because Jesus did. He says, I will give these to you on one condition. You must fall down and worship me. He's offering that same condition to everyone on this planet every day, including you and I. So here's what I suggest we need to see. Satan claims that he has dominion and lordship and ownership of all these kingdoms, doesn't he? He is claiming that. Do you also see this? Jesus doesn't correct him. Jesus doesn't tell him he's wrong at all. I think that's something very important that we should see from that. And so why? Why why doesn't Jesus correct him and say, these aren't yours? What are you talking about, you silly thing? Well, because the truth is, up until this point in time, he did have dominion over all the kingdoms of the earth. The scripture teaches us that the power of Satan was, however, dealt several blows, beginning with the incarnation of Christ. That was a blow, right? He tried to prevent that from even happening. Then this wilderness battle, and finally, of course, on the cross, Satan was fully defeated. In Matthew 28, we know the famous words of Jesus before he gives the Great Commission. He says, now, as a result of this, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That said, we also know from Scripture, the devil is still given limited and subordinate power to Jesus in this world. The kingdom of God inaugurated by the coming of Jesus is on one hand not of this world, but then of course it is, but here's the thing, it is in us. And it's dependent on us living the kingdom life in this world in this community, and certainly in our own lives. And my friends, that exactly is the battle, isn't it? That's the spiritual battle that's going on right now. And so I I say that just as a word of encouragement to say this. You know what? Mr. Putin is not king of Russia. Neither is Justin. Neither is Joe. Jesus is king. Jesus is king from sea to sea to sea. He has dominion over everything. However, those in power, if they are not bowing their knee to Christ, then someone else is in charge of their kingdom. So that is why we're studying spiritual warfare because, listen, you know this, we are in this constant battle with our own flesh and the devil and his minions and it can be best summed up in this last final pair that I want to get into with you today which we will go to in our conclusion briefly in a second. Uh, So I want to suggest this to you. For you and I who are children of God and therefore members of the kingdom of God, if that's you, if you're here today and you are a child of God and you know it, then you are a member of the kingdom of God not a member of the kingdom of this world. But here's the thing. At any given time, you and I, just like everyone else in this world, but especially you and I who are in Christ, are given the opportunity to (laughs) 
operate, participate in either of those two kingdoms. We can or are, wittingly or unwittingly, through our actions and deed, either, listen, participating in the expansion of the kingdom of God or the expansion of the kingdom of darkness. Now, I remember the first time I started to realize this concept myself many, many years ago. Boy, oh boy, I had to think about every... I started thinking about every conversation I had, everything I did, every day. Hold on a second. Am I speaking life into this relationship or death? Am I expanding the kingdom of God or the kingdom of darkness? It's a serious thing to be thinking about. I think it's also very healthy. That's why I bring it to your attention. These are very stark terms. And so that is why we're looking at, listen, the world part one by considering ways in which we are being influenced by the world. Now, if that's a newsflash to you, I want to give you some reality checks today. <laughs> Again, uh, I won't mention because some of you don't, you know, like you think, man, he does this almost every sermon, what my previous career was. <laughs> but, okay, you know, no, I'm not going to say the word. But it, it's true. Like, I've been watching this all my life, watching culture in my business career and, and watching what motivates us and, and how that, you know, like is influencing us. And so it's very, very real to me. So listen, I would suggest to you that every minute of every day, you and I are being influenced. Every minute of every day. I left my phone at the back this morning because I got my pack here for my... But come on. The influence is huge in our day and age today. We, we, I want to suggest live in this proverbial, slowly warming pot of soup that it's, it's almost like, a little bit like Eugene Peterson said in his definition of the world. It's like... We're swimming in it. It's, it's almost impossible to keep our heads above water, isn't it? I think it is. Sometimes we, we may not even notice the influence of the world and its, its ways and its influences on us. But again, remember the modus operandi of our enemy. Deceptive ideas. Like, they're ideas, right? At first they sound, hey, you know what? That, that actually, you know what? That might, that might be a little... Good. No, no, they're lies. But that's the trick. And they, they play to our disordered uh, desires, not our good desires that God had given to us, but the ones that were disordered when we walked according to the flesh, and they appeal to that. And then, of course, they are completely normalized in this world that is all around us. And so when we see it all being normalized all around us, what kind of an impact is that having on us? It's huge, I would suggest. I want you to consider... The Apostle John's words that he wrote to the church as a pastor. He said these words in 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Hold on. Why is he writing that to the church? Because they're loving the world. He's a pastor. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For God so loved the whole world. Hold on. It's a very different picture. Think about that. For all that is in the world, the desires, look, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with all its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. In other words, if you're going to live that way as a Christian, you're wasting your time. It's all just going to burn up. 
So John's concern, as I suggested, is this. He knows there's lots to love in this world. There is. And, and it, it's, we'll see this next week. It's not all bad. Uh, God created this beautiful planet and the desires, the good desires that he's given to us. So there's lots to love. In, in this case, he's talking, of course, again about the disordered desires that are prevalent in this world. And by writing these words to the church, he's acknowledging that Christians, believers, do love the things of the world that are not of the Father, and he names them. The disordered desires of the flesh, the disordered desires of the eyes, and the certainly disordered pride of life. So let me suggest to you two of the main reasons why, besides temptation and our fleshy weaknesses, we allow ourselves to be influenced by the world. One of, the, one of them is, is and I'm not a big fan of acronyms, but this one's a good one, I think. It's called FOMO. I remember seeing that on Facebook or whatever one time ago. FOMO, Google that. What is that? I don't know what that is. Fear of missing out. Oh, man, I got that T-shirt. Right? All my life, I see the people in the world just like, they, they get this or they, they desire that, and I'm going, yeah, me too. Why? Well, because... You know, you got one life, you know, you know, carpe diem, seize the day, let's get there, come on. It's natural to a certain extent, but we got, you got to fight that. I've got to fight that. It's not about the fear of missing. I'll tell you what you should have the fear of missing out on is the good life in Christ. But we look around and we see that in our world and we're like, oh man, I, I, it seems like people are happier and, and, and that they're flourishing and I don't want to miss out on the, quote, good life. I made up my own acronym just for today, by the way. It's called FOPS. <clears throat> yeah, F-O-P-S. You know what it stands for? Fear of persecution and suffering. Jesus said, listen, you know why the world hates you? Because it hated me first. What? Well, thank you, Jesus. That was really encouraging. Fops. Remember that one? Hashtag. As we come to our conclusion today, I want to show you what I believe are two ways Christians negatively respond to the influence of the world. Two stories came to my mind to illustrate this. Uh, one of them is from the Old Testament. It's about the people of Israel in 580 BC. You know that Jerusalem was sacked by the evil Babylonians and the people of Israel were taken into captivity in Babylon and they were now what? Exile in a pagan, ungodly, terrible world, right? And, and they essentially responded two ways. First of all, some of them, and some of you might be like this in our world today, and they, they, they responded by like wanting to rebel and fight against their captors and, and, and get themselves free again. Well, that didn't work out too well. <laughs> they were just killed. But here's the thing, a majority of the people of Israel who were exiles in Babylon just decided to assimilate. Lord, we're like, you know what? These Babylonians are really not that bad. I mean, look at all the things they've got, you know? I, I kind of like their dancing, you know? Dancing's not evil. But anyway, they, 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 and, and they, they assimilated fully to their gods to the point where years later, and we'll see this a bit next week because there was a third response, there was another way, and that's the way we'll look at next week. But when it came to them actually being freed by God to go back to Jerusalem, many didn't want to go back. 
They stayed in exile because they had fully assimilated. Secondly, I was listening to this a fantastic lecture uh, many, many weeks ago, actually, by Dick Keyes. He's one of the key speakers at Labrie Fellowship, the ministry started by Francis Schaeffer. And he put it this way, our tendency due to the pressure of our culture on us, the influence and sway that the world has, is, is it says we, we can become either one of two things. And the first one you'll know right away. He said we can either become chameleons, right? You know what that looks like, right? And we'll look at it in a second. Chameleons or warthogs. And I'm listening to the podcast, going, the, the lecture going, what? What was he talking about, right? So chameleons, like I said, I'm sure you understand what that looks like. We walk out of here today, you know, we've been filled up with the word. We know what we're supposed to do, what we're not supposed to do. And then we go and we just blend in. We change our colors to fit in or listen, maybe not to be noticed. Fops, one more time. But mostly we simply assimilate. We, we laugh and talk with our non-Christian friends about the latest Netflix series or, or, or movie that is filled with all the disordered desires that Hollywood, that Netflix, Prime, HBO can possibly imagine. And we stand around the water cooler with all of our friends going, yeah, I watch that too. Yeah, I see. I'm not so weird. <clears throat> all right. Um, anyway. I have a little illustration I want to show you this morning. It's a bit of a risk that I'm taking, but I, again, you're big boys and big girls. But I, I remember, th- I actually used this illustration many years ago, speaking to a youth group. And, and it was the idea that what I wanted to show was, and I want to show you this as well today, is here's what we typically do in the church as Christians. W- when the world moves on to something that we don't think is terribly appropriate, we're like, oh, that's terrible. We would never do that. Really? So the first picture I want to show you is, uh, does anyone know what this series was? Let's put it on screen. Anyone know what that series was in television? It was, by the way, it was on TV in black and white. That's why the picture's black and white. Now, most of you, even Janice said to me today, because I'm older than her, obviously by a lot. What's it called? Father Knows Best. There you go. Right? Now, some people would look at that today and go, oh, dear Lord. No. Really? No, this series was, it was the most, like, it was so wholesome and wonderful. And, of course, Dad would come home from work dressed like that, and he would sit at the dinner table dressed like that. Of course, Mom would wear a dress and high heels while vacuuming and cooking, right, and serving Dad. Oh, I don't even want to go there. But anyway, here's my point, okay? My point is this. This was the number one viewed television show in all of America. It was moral. It was a bit skewed, but, but to say the least, in some ways. Many years later, this show came on television. Does anyone know this show? Married with Children. Okay, we can take that off screen now. I, I told Ed, yeah, thank you. But, so here's the, the point that I made to this youth group was this, because it's true. So think about this, please. The world moved on from Father's know, Father Knows Best. Obviously, this show that was just on screen became the most popular family television show of all time at that time, at that date. Most Christians were like, that is terrible. But you know what happened? When the world moved on from married with children, guess what Christians started watching and found okay? I I just want to ask you today to think about this. What has the world moved on to? that we're now moving on to. That's, that's your own personal decision and choice. But I got to 
tell you, it's really been affecting me quite a bit as I think about it. So back to the other illustration, there's the chameleon approach, but also there's the warthog. You know what that looks like? Well, the warthog is a big, it's a warthog, <laughs> and it's got big horns, right? And the picture that Dick Keyes put into his, his, um, his lecture was that what happens is, is if there's an attack on, on, on the, the brood, uh, then what the warthogs do is they create a circle with their horns out and they get all the kids, the little ones inside, right? And it's like, keep the world out. Those are the two wrong and negative ways that we respond to the world. Either we become chameleons and fully assimilate or warthogs. And it's like, oh, that bad world out there. Can't let, you know, got to keep our kids protected until they're at least 21 and then, oh, dear Lord. <laughs> They go to university, right? <laughs> and they stop listening to mom and dad. So let's close this morning by returning to the idea of expansion we looked at a few minutes ago. There's one way that you and I can, and we do, continually, unfortunately, give ourselves more to the expansion of the kingdom of darkness. Rudy highlighted these verses in the Flesh series, which I will just put back on screen for you in a second to highlight as well as we close. But it's important. Just consider the first ones because it's very clear. The Apostle Paul makes it very clear what it looks like to be living according to the flesh, which means if you're doing so, you are wittingly or unwittingly contributing to the expansion of the kingdom of darkness. He wrote, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He could go on. I warn you as I warned you before, those that practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So listen, anytime we participate, encourage, or endorse these things, we are complicit in the expansion of the kingdom of darkness. And so let me ask an honest question to leave you with as something for you to percolate on this week in small group or in your own heart. Are there dissensions and divisions born out of strife, jealousy, rivalry, rivalries, and envy going on in your heart and in your relationships? If so, these are not the ways of the kingdom of God. And we need to do something about that. We need to do something about that. I need to do something about that. So I'm going to encourage you with these verses that follow, and we'll unpack this more next week. The ways of the kingdom of God are these, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, Against such things, there is no law. These are the ways of the kingdom. These are the ways to health. These are the ways that we influence this world. Let's look at that next week. Pray with me, would you?